0: I'd like to begin with Psalm 61. If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to the 61st Psalm, Psalms number 61, we'll read the first four verses. Psalms 61, verse 1 Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock. That is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. And I want to just say, our worst enemy is ourselves. He's been a strong tower from the enemy. Verse 4 I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. Selah. Alrighty, if you'd like to take your handouts, and hold them, uh, you know, look at them alongside of your Bible. We'll be looking into the Lord's Word tonight and some in the book of Genesis, some in the book of Acts. But I want to begin with the handout itself. So if you'd like to look at page one, we're looking tonight, we're starting the Gospel according to Matthew. And I'd like to bring this before you as an introduction. Consider, consider for just a moment the difference between viewing a picture. Now I, I, as I read these words a writer, a commentator, I thought to myself and I closed my eyes and I thought of this a picture. We, we have these pictures that are so beautiful and they're so detailed and we think we think we see everything there is to it but if you consider the difference between viewing a picture and viewing a statue, a picture being flat can only be viewed in one dimension. A statue, on the other hand, can be viewed from all sides, revealing all the details of the figure. And this is what the four recordings of the gospel by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are. The details of the statue of Christ, each one giving his account of a detail to see the God-man as the Holy Spirit led them to record four different men, four distinct gospel narratives, yet one complete story, one inerrant story of the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of our substitute, the sinner's substitute, the righteous sacrifice for God's chosen people found in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we saw in our recent study of the Mark, Mark represents he presents the side of Christ as Jehovah's servant coming to fulfill his father's will ready willing to serve and willing to be sacrificed upon the altar Luke presents the Lord as the son of man full of human sympathy and tenderness understanding of man and how we and how, and, and, and what we go through in this world John sets forth the deity the, the, the lordship of our Savior before us as the Son of God with the majesty that goes above all our thoughts and all of our imaginations. And then here in Matthew, Matthew shows us Christ as our triumphant King, as the Lion of the tribe of Judah, as the promised Messiah who has come to save his people from their sins and what a better way to start what a better way to start with then to present us with the line that he was foretold to be of now remember the Lord's he was told Abraham was told all the way back to Abraham long before David long before anybody else Abraham or not before anybody else but before most Abraham was called out of the land of Chaldee. now that's that's the land of idols, idol worshippers. They had, they had every kind of idol you can think of that man could make with his hands. And the Lord called him out, just as he called you and I out of the land of Chaldee that you and I walked in before the Lord called us. So here we're going to see the line that our Lord was foretold to be of all the way back to Abraham. And we see that in the first verse of Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, page 2. Now, Robert Hawker wrote this. He said, The Old Testament begins with the covenant of the creation, the New Testament begins with the account of him. Oh, what did I say? The covenant? I, let me read that again. I read that wrong. The Old Testament begins with the account, I said the covenant, I'm sorry, the account of the creation. The New Testament begins with the account of Him by whom all things were created. And we know that through Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 2, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. So we see there that this, this story of Christ's line, his genealogy, is, is the very story of the one who made the worlds. Going on with Robert Hawker in the next paragraph on page 2, the great design of this pedigree concerning Christ after the flesh is to prove... Christ's lineal descent from Abraham. For unless this be proved, the evidence that Christ is the promised seed would be wanting. It wouldn't be there. This is the proof that he was the promised seed from Abraham. The line of all the folks that he went through. And we read in Galatians 3.16, For to whom Abraham and his seed were the promises made, He saith not to the seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So we see in Galatians 3 here, the promise that is made to Abraham. And I want you to turn back to Genesis chapter 12 for just a moment. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. And we're going to see in the Lord's word where what we just read from Galatians there. We're supposed to compare that with this section of genesis chapter 12 in chapter 12 we read in verse 3 now look at how remember, remember what we just read there it says abraham and his seed were the promise made for to the for to abraham and his seed not his seeds for it saith not that to seeds as of many but as of one and to thy seed which is christ so we see this confirmation right here in Genesis 12 3 and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee and thee and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed now turn over to Genesis 22 so we see what the Lord uh, uh, promised to Abraham there that was when he called him out of the Chaldean now turn over to chapter 22 of Genesis and let's look there chapter 22 verse 18 and in thy seed. You notice that? Now this was written, this was written thousands of years before uh, Paul wrote to Galatia, but this is what Paul was referring to. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Now look back at chapter 17, verses 15 through 21, and we'll see a confirmation of that again. Turn back to Genesis chapter 17. And beginning at verse 15, we read, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall shall her name be. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, O oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed. And thou shalt call his name Isaac and I will establish my covenant, that's the promise, with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed, Not notice it didn't say seeds, it said his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee, behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceeding. Twelve princes shall beget, and I will make him a great nation. So we see there, that the Lord is talking about the seed of Abraham, one seed, and that is as we see in Galatians chapter 3, which is Christ. Now, going on, Robert Hawker writes next there in the mid uh, section of page 2 Hence, therefore, the importance of this pedigree is evident. It's evident that we need to see that the promise of God that he made to Abraham at that time has come to pass. To know that this is the true and living God, the Messiah. Not only do we believe because of the gift of God, but He gives us His Word, and in His Word proving who He is. You know, when He when He told the the unbelieving Jews that we read about in, in I think it was uh, John chapter ten, when they when they came to Him, they said, "Tell us who you are pro- plainly, so that we have no doubt." He says, "Well, I have told you. The Lord Jesus was never." never hid who he was it was clear as a bell you could you look back through all of the lineage of Abraham all the way through to the day of the Lord Jesus and we're going to see this as we go through tonight's study and you could see that what he said what he had prophesied through his prophet Abraham had come to pass through the one the one seed it's a pedigree and, and it's evident of the importance of that rice hawker And the correctness of the one here given is striking. Perhaps it were a thing impossible in any other instance, but in the genealogy of Christ, to find among all the pedigrees of of the Jews, from the days of our Lord to this hour, a correct genealogy of any one house or tribe or family or even for 14 generations together, whereas this is of the Christ. We have three times 14. 14. And we'll see that as we go about reading uh, Matthew 1. What can more decidedly manifest the overruling providence and watchableness of God? That it came through three different generations of 14. Three different. That's a lot of generations. And, and how could that be unless God had been guiding it all the way? That's what uh, Robert Hawker is writing. Okay, going on. The last paragraph of page 2. This genealogy... This genealogy record is important because it's irrefutable. It's proof that Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the Christ of God, the son of David. Now you and I, we believe because God has given us a belief, but we also believe what we read in God's word, and he shows us in his word that this is the true son of the living God. The son of David, the promised seed of Abraham. The Jews, from the very beginning of their history, kept very precise records of genealogy. The scribes and the Pharisees, they studied those records with great care. They constantly raised questions about endless genealogies. In fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul, addresses that in 1 Timothy 1.4. He says, Neither give heed to fables, and endless genealogies which minister questions they were saying well because we're the the sons of abraham we're the seeds of abraham we're the saved of abraham and and he paul paul's writing here he says don't don't take heed to fables or endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith That's where our our stand is. It's in faith, and I'm kind of glad about that because you can prove my genealogy has nothing to do with Jewish people. (laughs) If they could have disproved the Lord's genealogy, imagine that. Now imagine if they could have. That alone would have been sufficient grounds for their rejection of Jesus as the Christ. And you can bet on it, they would have been all over that. Oh, we don't need to make up lies. We got it right here. He he doesn't fall in the right line. But they could not do that. Though the Jews argued about many things and constantly accused the Lord of horrible evil deeds, not once have I seen where anyone has found anything about his ancestry not being correct. Don Fortner wrote this. He said, To this day, though religious heretics abound who try to undermine our faith in Christ, he says, I know of none who have ever attempted to discredit his genealogy. The reason should be obvious to anyone. It's flawless. Though Luke's record of the genealogy gives additional details of the statue that we talked about a moment ago and omits others, This is not. there's not one single point of either one of them that is in disagreement between the two. Now, taking that into consideration, taking those thoughts that we just talked about, the importance of this record, and how the record shows us who the Lord Jesus is, we're brought to see is that God is faithful to his word. He promised Abraham there would be one through the seed of of Abraham, one who would follow through the line of David. He promised that there would be one who would sit on his throne, his eternal throne, and rule all things and come to save his people. Our Lord brings us to see that he is faithful to his word through giving us this list of names. Romans 15.8, we read these words, now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision of the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers. He promised long ago that all nations of the earth would be blessed in the seed of Abraham. That's what we read in, Abraham, in Genesis 12.3 and Jesus Christ is Abraham's seed whom all nations are blessed as we read in Matthew 1 and we also read there in Galatians 3.13 God promised that he would raise up one out of the family of David to be a savior of his people listen to the words of Isaiah 11, 1. and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots and the Lord Jesus is David's great son and his Lord, as we read in Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Turn over to Acts chapter 2, and let's look at what it says there, the writer writing in the book of Acts. Look over to Acts right after the book of John, just before Corinthians. We see in Acts chapter 2, the Lord speaks to us through the through Peter, beginning at verse 25, where Peter says, For David speaketh concerning him. He said, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. This is David speaking of the Lord who was always before his face, just as you and I see him with the eye of faith, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Now that's David speaking about the Son of God who should come from him, from his seed. Excuse me. Verse 26. Therefore did my heart rejoice, and my tongue was glad. Moreover, also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy continence. Men and brethren, let me speak freely. Let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried and his sepulcher is with us to this day. Therefore being a prophet. Therefore being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins according to the flesh he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, wherefore we, are all, wherefore all, we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith to himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So we see how... Not only is the Lord the promised through the seed of Abraham, he comes through the line of David, as, he, as it is given in the recordings of David. Page 4 of the handout. These 17 verses are a wonderful demonstration to we, to us, to God's chosen people, to those who he's given the eye of faith to believe the fact that God always keeps his word. He does not change his mind. Listen to Malachi 3.6. The Lord says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Does that not bring peace to the soul of a sinner? Does that not bring hope to the soul of a sinner? God's not going to change his mind about me. I'm thankful for that because I'll tell you, I, if it was me, I would change my mind about me every minute. Every minute. But yet my Lord has loved me from before the world was. He's loved all of his people. If, he be- if you belong to him, if he shed his blood for you, he loves you with an everlasting love, a never-ending love. It's always been there. It will always be there. I change not, he says, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Let this also be a warning to those who refuse to believe and a blessing of grace to those who have received the gift of faith. Remember this and tremble. Though men imagine that because God does not immediately punish sin, that he will never punish sin, it is not so. He will. The righteous Lord, because he loves righteousness, will destroy the wicked with his everlasting wrath. Listen to Psalms 711. God judges the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. Did you know He's not angry with you and I? You know why? I know you. I know you look in the mirror and you think to yourself, "I'm a sinner," and you are. But in God's eyes, that sin has been paid for. The punishment for everything about you, everything—that means everything until the day He takes you out of this world—everything was laid upon our Savior. He's angry with the wicked, but our wickedness was laid upon our substitute. Psalms one, Psalms eleven, verses five through seven. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked in him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall reign. Sna-. And this is what you and I deserve. This is what this is grace, folks. If you can if you're, a, if you belong to the Lord Jesus, you cannot read these next words. And, and not understand God's love for you in sending his child, His son to be your, your, your substitute. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares. This is what he did to Christ for you and I. Snares, fire and brimstone and horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. He drank our cup dry. He drank. Our cup dry. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. Folks, for Him to love us, we've got to be righteous. And we are in His Son. His countenance doth behold the upright. Let every believer remember this and be comforted. Our Heavenly Father will be true to His promises. He is not a man that he should lie as we read in numbers 23:19 God is not a man that he should lie neither son of man that he should repent hath he said and shall he not do it or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good or in first second or in second 2 Timothy 2:13 2, he abideth faithful he cannot deny himself Titus 1.2, God who cannot lie has made some promises to his people, folks. And all the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yea and amen. That's in 2 Corinthians one20 twenty. Doesn't that bless your heart? did not that bless your soul? God has promised saving grace to all who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that what we read? Look here in Acts 16.31. And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Isn't that what John 3.16 is all about? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And everybody in the world want to take that phrase, the world, forgetting everything else and neglecting everything else that God says in his word about the world. That's all they want to focus on. And they completely skip over this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth, whosoever believeth, and they said, "Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved." In thy house, verse five or page five, the Lord has promised sufficient grace to His tried saints, to you and I, to His people, those who are under trial. Listen to Second Corinthians twelve nine. Our Lord says, "My grace is sufficient for thee." My strength is made perfect in weakness. Oh, how I pray that God will give every one of us the ability to lean on his word, these words in the times of our trials. He has promised sustaining grace to those who are tempted. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10.13, page 5 of our handout. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. You know, we go through life and we think, oh, nobody's ever had a trial like this. Mm-hmm. My foot. I'll tell you something. Here's what I've learned more and more. I've never had a trial like most of those who God has talked about right here in scriptures. There are, there are brothers and sisters right here in the scriptures who've had way more trials than I've ever, and I pray God will ever have me to experience. Job. But what about Jonah. What about Rahab? What about David and Bathsheba? Folks, I'll tell you. Not, this is what God's word says, there hath no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. This is the promise. God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. We talked about that Friday, Sunday in Sunday service, didn't we? We talked about the, the trials of temptation that flood every one of us, the, the temptations of anger, the temptations of lust, the temptations of unbelief. When we fall into those temptations, God has given us an out. I guarantee you, you stop thinking about that temptation and you just start concentrating on the Lord Jesus what He has done for you, the depth of His love for you, and it won't take but more than a couple seconds, and that temptation won't be there in your mind anymore. You'll be thinking about what the Lord has thought for you. Now, that's our trouble, though. That's our our problem, is we we can't turn away from those temptations at times. We can't turn away from those things that, that tempt us. And we fall prey to them, because we're weak. But our Lord says, there hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. He has also promised strengthening grace to those who are weak. Listen to Isaiah 41.10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will help thee, yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. That's the Lord Jesus. That's again, looking to the Lord Jesus. He has promised restoring grace. To those who are fallen, those who have fallen into the temptation, those who have fallen in and allowed that sin to, to rule their flesh. Psalms 37, 24, though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. Though I have fallen into whatever temptation, sin that I have before me, I shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. That's Psalms 37, 24, Proverbs 24, 16, for a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. He has promised dying grace at the time appointed. I've shared with some of you before, and our brother just recently Our brother Sonny Dutra shared this with me. He said he saw something in his wife Karen that he had never seen in her before. A comforting peace. Not like a glow, but it might be, and and I'm just trying to think of this off the top of my head, It it might be easy to describe this for you to understand. When you see a pregnant woman who's got a, a child growing in her. There's a, it's not a glow, but it's kind of it's, it's kinda of, kind of like that. You just, you just see something manifesting itself. Well this is what Sonny Dutra explained to me about his wife Karen as she got closer to her death. I saw this in Joyce Deaver when Bill and I went to see her in the hospital a week before she passed from breast cancer. Many uh, pastors I've heard discuss, say the same thing about those that, that have gone on to be with the Lord. It's, it's, it's a promise of grace, of peace at the time of dying. Listen to Exodus 15:16. Fear and dread shall fall upon them, but the, by the greatness of thine arm they shall be as still as a stone, Till thy people pass over, O oh Lord, till thy people pass over, which thou hast purchased. In Hebrews two fifteen we read these words, And delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Also he has promised a crowning grace, the bottom of page five there, who enter to all who enter into Kevin's glory. Second Timothy one, verse twelve. Nevertheless I am not ashamed, writes Paul to Timothy, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Page six. Blessed is the man, James 1 verse 12, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. And what God has promised, as we have seen in his word, he will perform. Isaiah 14, 24, The Lord of hosts hath sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so shall it come to pass, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand. 14, verse 27, we read these words, For the Lord of hosts hath purposed, and who shall disannul it? And his hand is stretched out, and who shall turn it back? Before we read our closing statement, In the handout turn to Matthew chapter 1 and read along with me as we go through the genealogy of the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ Matthew chapter 1 we read these words in verse 1 the book of the generation of Jesus Christ the son of David the son of Abraham Hold your spot there for just a moment and turn over to Acts chapter 2. I want to read the word again that we just read a moment ago along with what we just read there. Acts chapter 2, verse 30. Therefore, being a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. So we see here, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is the Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, going on in our our reading of Matthew chapter 1, verse 2. And I pray you folks won't beat me up too badly for some of the names here. Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas, and his brethren. That would be the twelve. That would be the twelve tribes of of Israel. Remember Jacob's name was turned to Israel. Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. Verse 3, And Judas begat Phares, and Zerah, and Thamar, and Phares begat Ezrom, and Ezrom begat Aram, and Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Nasan, and Nasan begat Solomon, and Solomon begat Boaz of Rechab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Arias, and Solomon begat Roboam, and Roboam begat Abiah and Abiah begat Asa and Asa begat Jehos- Jehoshaphat and Jehoshaphat begat Joram and Joram begat Ozias and Ozias begat Joatham and Joatham begat Achaz and Achaz begat Ezekias, and Ezekias begat Man- Manassas and Manassas begat Ammon and Ammon begat Josias and Josias begat Jonah, Jehonas uh, and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon, and after they were brought to Babylon, Jehonas begat Shallaiathiel, and Shallaiathiel begat Zerobabel, and Zerobabel begat Abiud and uh, Abiud and, uh, and begat. Eliakim, and Eliakim begat Azor, and Azor begat Zadok, and Zadok begat Akim, and Akim begat Elud. And Elud begat Eleazar, and Eleazar begat Nathan and Nathan begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations, now remember we were talking earlier about the three uh, three different uh, generations of 14 so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations and from the carrying away to Babylon unto Christ are 14 or I just, I skipped and David unto the carrying away of Babylon 14 generations and from the carrying away to Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations now we're going to pick up at uh, verse 18 Lord willing, in our next study. So I want to go back to our handout and close with this last couple of thoughts here in our handout. One more observation for us to have of this list, this genealogy of the Lord Jesus. Four of the five women, four of the five women mentioned here are women with reputations or blemishes that you might say most would not want to have mentioned. Most would not want you to see in their family tree. Our Savior chose to be numbered with transgressors. Now for that for that much every one of those men had also transgressed against the Lord Jesus. But I found it interesting that these women were mentioned here are are like I said, they have they have they have blemishes that most wouldn't want to have in their family trees. Our Lord was numbered with the transgressors, even in his genealogy. He didn't come from a long line of, of, of kings and, 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 and so on. No, he came from a line of transgressors, a line of sinners. I find that very interesting and very comforting. Our Lord chose to be numbered with the transgressors, even in his genealogy, Tamar was guilty of incest. Rahab was a harlot. Ruth was from Moab. She was a child of a cursed race. And Bathsheba, well, we know what happened there, don't we? We know that the Lord Jesus was made sin for us who knew no sin. That's what we read. 2 Corinthians five twenty one. He who was made in the likeness of sinful flesh, as we read in Romans chapter eight verse three. He was also made a curse for us, as we read in, G- in Galatians three thirteen. But here, here we see, as the New Testament opens up, the Spirit of God seems to say to us that our Holy Savior came into this world through such channels of sin and uncleanness. As who could ever have imagined? Instead of coming in on a white stallion with chariots flaming, he'll come that way, but that'll be the way he returns to collect his loved ones and to destroy the world. But this time he came humbled. He came humbled, riding a colt. He came through the lineage of sinners. Here it's as though the New Testament is opening up and the Spirit of God is telling us our Savior has come through channels of sin and uncleanness. He who is holy and harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens, as we read in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26, he came into the world through a family of sinners. What humiliation. Truly of whom this genealogy speaks of, this one for whom it speaks of, Truly, he's a friend, a friend of sinners. He came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And we'll close with that tonight. Lord willing, next week, we'll look at uh, how verse 8 says, Now the birth of the Jesus Christ was on this wise. Lord willing, we'll look at that next week.